Hi, I'm Joe Vraga. Welcome to Unripe, where I talk to experts and women like you and me as we find a place in the world and a community of women who are childless by circumstance or child-free by choice. I'm going to talk about IVF, being single and childless, childless and married, like me, or in a relationship, abortion, losing friends to motherhood, and all the topics that people just don't like to talk about. Who knew how hard it could be to find a group to talk about this stuff? We're a tribe hidden in plain sight. So I'm going to talk about it all. The good, the bad, the freedom, the loneliness, the judgment, and the possibilities when you're a childless woman. Let's make these conversations part of the mainstream. So come on, join me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Unripe. So I don't know about you, but I spend a bit of time on social media. I don't do Twitter because, let's face it, it's the cesspool of the world and it turns me into an absolute crazed woman. Seriously, I turn into the mob when I'm backed into a corner and Twitter is that corner, so I don't go there. But anyway, Facebook and mostly Instagram are my go-to when I want to see things or talk to people in my community. I watch videos about how to plate food because, you know... I'm at culinary school. I also like watching Stanley Tucci making cocktails and I watch other curly-haired girls using hair product and diffusing their hair. Yeah, a real rager. From time to time, however, you find something and someone who just says all the stuff that's in your head like this one. So much of trying to conceive is restricting yourself. Don't drink alcohol, don't eat fish or lunch meat or hot dogs, don't take hot showers, don't get tattoos, don't dye your hair, take a prenatal every day even though it makes you feel sick, take your temperature at the same time every day, schedule sex, pee on this stick but make sure you're peeing at the right time, don't work out too hard, make sure you get exercise, lose weight, don't lose too much weight. Well, that's a post by Bridget May of The Fruitless Fig Tree. We'll hear from Bridget in a moment. And before we do, I wanted to let you know that the next few episodes, I'm speaking with women who are, as I see it, incredibly positive role models in our community. And to me, that's just totally weird because I'm a glass is completely empty kind of gal. But just because Bridget is a positive person doesn't mean that she dances around the dark truths. She is angry and honest, honest about body positivity, about women's voices, about infertility. And in fact, she's vocal about a lot of things. And that's why I adore her. She definitely puts a different spin on things. Plus, check out her stories, especially her cocktails. She has a terrific collection of cocktail glasses that I'm totally jealous of. And the cocktails her husband makes look delicious. Now, Bridget is a primary school teacher. I couldn't imagine how hard that would be while facing infertility far out. She talks about that as well. And she's also a poet. And I'll read some of her work for you throughout the episode. Her journey to infertility is pretty normal, but with a slight difference in that when she found out the next step would be infertility treatment, she said, you know what? I'm just going to drink wine and eat sushi instead. That didn't make things any easier, of course. I know you will enjoy Bridget. So let's go. Hello. Hello, Hello. Bridget. How are you? I actually just got back from a therapy session. So I'm like ready to go. I'm feeling good. You're powerful. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me on here. It's very exciting. Bridget, I love that you're so open about everything. (laughs) Thanks. Tell my family to love that about me. (laughs) 
yeah, I also think that women like you and Katie Seppi from Chasing Creation turn the infertility conversation on its head by showing others that we're not sitting around just being sad. It's the sad barren lady, the narrative that people want to believe that like because we can't have kids and that's where all the pity comes from is that like, oh, you just must be so sad, sad all the time. And it's like occasionally I'm pretty sad. I'm acknowledging that I feel the sadness sometimes. I don't want to negate that I was really sad when I was trying to conceive. Since I've stopped trying to conceive, not as sad. Not as sad whatsoever. And I think people don't like to hear that. It's a narrative that doesn't fit into what they think we should look like. And so it's it's very other to them. But how can we not be sad at all? Right. Well, it's that mentality that if you took my children away from me, I would be devastated. And I'm like, totally. But I never got the children. So I filled that space with a lot of other things. And if you took those things like travel and seeing my friends and all of the things the pandemic took from me, you'd be pretty devastated, which is why I'm devastated all the time. But those are the joys that I have. And it is hard when parents are like, oh, I just can't imagine it without children. And it's like, okay, you lived a life without kids. Imagine you then. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it. People assume we're the same as we were before infertility, that we're going to the same parties. No, I barely want to put pants on every day. <laughs> I don't want to go to a party. If it doesn't end by nine, I'm probably not going to go. I started trying to conceive at like 28. So I, I think I'm a much different person than I was at 28. But I think of when I first got married at 25 and I'm like, oh, I'm nowhere near the same person. That little 25-year-old is delightful, but that's not me. And so anyone that thinks that we're the same people, it's like, oh, God, no. All right, so Bridget, tell me your story. Oh, man, I need a drink for this. Um, <laughs> is it too early? It's, uh. it's Well, it's five o'clock here. So in terms of my Instagram account, last March, it was actually the day that uh, we kind of went into our first lockdown to flatten the curve of we were going to just stay home for two weeks, which is really cute. It was March 13th. I remember it. And I, my school had closed that day. Um, I'm a preschool teacher. And we were like, hey, this is kind of a serious thing. We closed. We're going to take a couple weeks off. And just by chance, I had started that day an Instagram to kind of tell my childless story, my infertility story, because I was really angry about a TV show I had just seen that showed an infertility story. It was Brooklyn Nine-Nine and they showed this beautiful episode where uh, the couple is trying to get pregnant. They're trying to get pregnant. And at the end of the episode, you know, they're just going to be pregnant and you're going to hate it. And then she wasn't pregnant. And I thought like, oh my God, I'm seeing my story for the first time. This is amazing. And then I clicked on the next episode in the first five minutes, she was pregnant. And I was like, I want to light this on fire and burn it to the ground. And who can I kill? And I was so angry because I, I don't know if you've picked up from my Instagram. I have a lot of anger and I just didn't know what to do. And I thought, and I think a friend suggested like, you know, if you're not seeing your story, why don't you tell your story? And so I started the Instagram and I I just didn't realize that there were so many childless individuals out there that were also telling their stories and that I would get to talk to now. I wasn't talking to any childless. I have child-free friends, but I didn't have any childless friends. I didn't have any friends that went through infertility and didn't seek treatment. So that was why I started the Instagram account. But in terms of my infertility in 2016, Oh, that sweet summer child of me. I thought for sure the first time I had sex unprotected, I was going to get pregnant. I was so fertile. My family's so fertile. I have a bunch of sisters all having kids left and right. It was going to happen. And then it didn't. And I was like, well, it will happen the next couple of times. And 
it was like a total shot to my ego and a deconstruction of everything I had ever believed in. And I think that that's probably one of the hardest things to understand about infertility is you have a worldview that when you experience infertility, it completely breaks everything you have believed about the world, especially if you were raised religiously. And I was raised Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore because I'm, I don't think that worldview is a healthy thing to teach people. And I don't shame anyone for their religious beliefs. I think everybody is communicating a very innate spirituality in their own vocabulary, but that vocabulary didn't fit with me anymore because I, I thought, oh, well, I must be broken. I don't deserve this. All of those things that they tell you, if you do A, B, and C and you get married, you're being punished or God's blessing you with only as much as you can handle. And I'm like, I don't know. Why isn't he blessing that other person with a really shitty hand? So, so I didn't like that God. I thought that God was kind of a petty bitch. Bridget and her husband were diagnosed with unexplained infertility when she was around 28, 29. Unexplained infertility for the uninitiated is when all your eggs are fine, your tubes are clear, your partner's sperm is swimming nicely, you're having unprotected sex at the right time, oh God, and you're still not up the duff. Infertility for two years, trying to conceive was really hard for me. And when we were finally diagnosed with unexplained infertility in 2018, she said, you know, I can recommend you to a fertility doctor. The only thing I can do for you is give you ovulation drugs. It's Clomid, I think, was the fertility drug. She explained that there is the potential for overovulation. I didn't know about overovulation. I didn't know it was a thing. The trainees, they were following her in, just one of them. And she said, if you overovulate, I was like, it's like I'm producing too many eggs. And she said, yeah, it can be quite painful. You can cramp. And she's explaining it. And I said, so it's almost like eggs would just be dropping out of me and I couldn't catch them fast enough. <laughs> and my husband laughed and the trainee looked horrified. And because I think she's expecting any infertility meeting to not be funny or to be crass, it's going to be serious. And she's going to get the tissues ready for me. And the doctor laughed and said, yeah, kind of like that. And I said, I would rather go get some sushi and I'm going to drink a bottle of wine. And I would rather do that with my time than put my body through that. So that's when I decided to be childless instead of pursue treatment. And it's been a fun little roller coaster. <laughs> I'm the youngest of, there's five of us girls. So I have always my entire life watched four other women make mistakes and been like, mm, I don't know if I want to make that mistake. And then I would go make a different mistake. I have watched so many people go through treatments and they get into a lot of debt and they get into a lot of heartbreak. I firmly believe that if treatments are right for you, do it. But it is a holistically expensive endeavor. It is financially, emotionally, physically, spiritually expensive. And I don't think I'm willing to pay that cost. And I really like sushi. Do you sometimes feel like I don't know, you gave up, as some people like to say. I do feel like the fact that I'd never pursued treatments indicates to people as if, well, I guess you really didn't want it. And I guess you probably wouldn't have been a good mother. And it's like, ah, I think I would be probably as good a mother as anyone else that's human and just trying their best. I think we create these stories about it because we have to somehow justify that so many women get trapped into motherhood as their identity. So it has to be a damn good identity. It better be the most wonderful identity ever because not to just bring it back to the patriarchy every time, but that's going to be the answer. It's because the patriarchy tells us that women can only be mothers. And if you're not, you should be a teacher or a nurse or someone else that is constantly giving themselves. 
Bridget refers to herself on Instagram as the infertility gardener. And she does love to garden amongst other things like teaching. Bridget is a Montessori primary school teacher and it hasn't been without its challenges, both post and pre-pandemic. I'm actually taking a break from teaching this, I mean, summer, because I, I'm so burnt out. And I think it's, for me, trying to reflect and dissect all of the reasons that I feel weird about infertility or childlessness or motherhood, all of those things, a lot of that can be directly applied to teaching. I feel drained. I feel like I'm constantly trying to tap into this reservoir of grace and love that is drained and I don't have it for the kids. And then of course, during the pandemic, everyone's like, but could you please, we really need you to have it for the kids and totally just ignore what you're going through, serve the children. And I think we do that to women who are mothers. We tell them, ignore what you're going through, serve the children because they're your everything. Uh, So I made kind of the call to take a break from teaching. I'm calling it my personal sabbatical. I know that when I couldn't have a child and I decided not to pursue treatments. I was a teacher, so that's okay. I still got to work with children. That's what people would tell me. You're a spiritual mother. You're a mother to all your class, all of those things. It's okay that you can't have your own because you take care of them still. And it's like, what about all the women who don't have their own and then don't take care of children? Are are they worse off than I am? Because I don't know, it looks pretty cushy. They're unfulfilled, clearly. Exactly. They have no purpose. And then you get into the psychological, like, well, what if I don't want teaching to be my purpose, but we tell people that your life calling has to be your work and we pay teachers poorly, but God, they're, you know, the backbone of society and all of these things. Okay. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. Is it hard to be a teacher when you wanted, but didn't get to have kids? I'm very vocal about, I don't know if you've noticed, I'm very vocal about things that I'm experiencing. I've noticed, I've noticed. (laughs) So a lot of the kids will ask in class like, oh, why don't you have babies? Why don't you have a kid? Because for children, their worldview is only families with children. Typically they go to school and their community is those families look like mine because they are parents and they have children. And so they aren't seeing the childless community outside of that. So what a great, you know, experience they get when I teach them because I say, oh, well, some people can have babies and some people can't. Some people want babies and some people don't. You are welcome to grow up and not have kids. You're welcome to grow up and have kids. I imagine like, oh, I could have saved like two years of teaching myself that if I had just been taught it when I was little. And I love it because I do hear the kids at school. They now apply this to anything because I say it a lot like, oh, well, some people like avocados and some people don't when they're like, you know, making faces at each other's lunches. And now I hear that where it's like, well, some people wear these kind of shoes and some people don't. And I'm like, yeah, that's the perfect life view is that some people do it and some people don't. So the kids are fine with it. No child has ever pitied me or said like, oh, you should just try IVF or like, don't give up hope. All of those things. The kids are like, cool, sounds good. This is part of my reality now. And I would say that the hardest part about teaching is that there are parents who negate what you say because you don't have kids. And I've had conferences before, difficult conferences, where I've had to tell the parents, this is something difficult about your child, about their either development or their behavior. This is something that's going to need attention to be healed or to be addressed. And they will say at the end, well you'll understand when you have your own. And I remember hearing that and thinking, so everything I just said to you in that half hour, 45 minutes doesn't matter because I don't have my own. I couldn't possibly know. I work with 20 
different kids every year. I've been in Montessori preschool for eight years, but you know your one child really, really well. So you've figured it out. You've cracked what um, early childhood education is because you know what your one child very well. So that's probably the hardest part is that it is the adults who keep perpetuating the idea that unless you have kids, you have no idea what you're talking about. It doesn't matter that I have a basically a master's in early childhood or that I have the experience. What do you say to that? What I did was I smiled and said, oh, And then I showed them out the door and said, I'll see you later. And as I turned around, I started crying and was like, I'd like to burn something. (laughs) It's always about fire. I actually immediately went to my boss and said, I would like to not work with that family anymore because I don't think there's a level of respect that's needed. Now, Bridget, you're planning on taking a sabbatical from teaching really soon. So for us in Australia, sabbatical is the same thing as long service leave, sort of. It's a dream for so many people to be able to take a sabbatical from work, especially if you don't take maternity leave. Now, I know it's not a holiday, no hate mail, please, but it is an opportunity to do something that's not your everyday work. And for women who don't have kids, we rarely get that chance. We don't get to say to our employers, hey, we're just going to take six months off. And then we're going to come back. I hope that's okay. Even if it is unpaid. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so like, so burnt out. I don't know. Cause I'm going to take the sabbatical to figure that out. I want to figure it out in a good mood. I don't want to have to make life choices in bad moods anymore. The same thing with trying to conceive is like, you're in a really bad place and you're having to make these decisions. And it's like, I don't want to make a decision when I'm in a bad place. It's decision-making as a reaction to something rather than because it's meaningful. Yes. Well, and imagine if, you know, I stop trying to conceive, I take a break. And there have been times in the past two years where I'm like, oh, like, what if like, I just tried when I was ovulating, like, let's just (laughs) dabble. And then of course I never get pregnant because I'm infertile. And I'm like, oh, well, I saw that coming. But it gives me the space to not be doing it in an unhealthy way, to not you know, be like this, it has to work or everything's going to fall apart. It gives me the space to make decisions from a relaxed, happy place. And so when I take this sabbatical, it's like, I'm going to figure out how to make an income. I'm, I might nanny, I might, you know, do a couple of different things that part-time jobs, I'll figure it out. But I just want the space to be like, I'm not constantly stressed. What do I want my life to look like? When I wake up in the morning, I don't want to dread going to work. What would that look like if I found a job that I didn't feel burnt out going to? What do I want my happiness to come from? I love this about my childless life now, that I can make choices about what I want my life to look like. For a while after my failed attempts at pregnancy, I was still on hold, you know? I won't do this until... But now it's up to me and Jeff and we get to choose our own adventure. And I'm not saying this as one of the dreaded bingos or to encourage toxic positivity, you know, well, luckily I didn't have kids because now I get to travel to places that don't have a kid's zone or a kid's menu. I can have full conversations with other adults, read books without interruption, cook spicy food. Luckily, no, but actually we do get to do these things now. It's hard as a childless woman to be a teacher. I, I can't ignore that. A lot of that I'm taking care of other people's, you know, sometimes hard behaviors in their children and I can't have my own and I have to just keep taking care of other people's kids. And then you think like, no, I don't want to do this right now. Bridget is a poet, as I mentioned, and she wrote a poem called If I Had a Child, and it resonated so much. I used to say that if I had a child, I would take them to concerts and they would think I was so cool because I've seen Pearl Jam seven times and I saw Nirvana in 94 in Salem, Oregon, just before Kurt Cobain died. If I had a child. Oh, I do it all the time. 
so often I'm like, well, if I had a child, the child would have a British accent. And if I had a child, (laughs) we'd be out in the garden and all of these things. I had the same thought this morning. I was driving to work and I do this thing sometimes where I think, oh, well, if I had a child, I'd turn up the radio and I would sing and the child would learn all these songs. And Simon and Garfunkel, Cecilia was playing and I turned it up and I sang and I thought, well, this is still pretty fun even without the child, but like that poor child's missing out on this. I was in the classroom today and I was like, well, I'm just on a Paul Simon kick. I turned on Paul Simon and I was dancing and some of the kids look at me like, oh, that's fun. And some of the kids look at me like I'm an alien. And so I always say, do your parents dance at home? And they're like, no. And I thought, oh, if I had a child, my child would be seeing me and my husband dance. We dance with the dogs, like all of those things. I think that what we dream about in terms of our legacy is really like we talk about having kids as a legacy. And it's like, it's just that you want to pass on you to someone so that when when you die, they get to share those little stories of like, oh, and my mom always danced in the kitchen or my mom always did this. And that's what we pass on. And we think, oh, well, that can't happen without children. But it can because someone else is going to tell that story of, oh, well, my best friend always did this or my sister always did this. It doesn't have to come from a child. Let's talk about the infertility gardener. Oh, well, I didn't know if I could count myself as an infertility warrior because I never did treatment. I very much identify like I want to keep infertility. I don't want people to be like, well, you're infertile, but you don't need to use that label because you're not trying anymore. And it's like, no, I get this label. It's mine. I earned this through a lot of sweat, blood and tears, literally sweat, blood and tears. And I like being able to have that label, slap it on myself and have people say like, oh, but Bridget seems like she's having a, a fairly fun time and she's infertile. And so I thought to myself, like, I'm not a warrior. I'm not waking up and like putting on my war paint and getting ready for another day's battle, which I believe that treatment looks like a battle. But I I love flowers so much. And as I was making my Instagram and kind of growing it, I always gravitated towards pictures of flowers. But I realized like, that's what I want to be is I want to be someone that's cultivating beautiful things and weeding out things that, you know, a flower is just a weed in the right place. And a weed is just a flower in the wrong place. And I want to be someone that looks at the world like that, taking out those things that, you know, don't necessarily belong, weeding those out. And waking up each morning, not resigned to fight, but just resigned to tend a beautiful life that is a garden and is not a horrible place to be. It's pretty nice here. Sometimes there's some bad things that I have to weed out, but there's not a lot. Have you heard the term IVF warrior or infertility warrior or even endo warrior? As though we didn't have enough pressure already, we women have created a hashtag to create even more pressure. We can't just have endometriosis. We have to be an endo warrior. Hashtag, of course. Bridget says that she went so far to the warrior side that she was hiding her grief. I went so far on the powerful end that I wasn't able to communicate any of my grief or vulnerability because I thought that being tender was a bad thing. I needed to be powerful. I needed to be in control of a thing that you are so not in control of. And to allow myself the space to tend a garden, to be tender, to acknowledge that I don't have to be in control. You're not really in a control of a garden. You're really just kind of guiding things and and trying to facilitate the plants. But it gives you space to not have to wake up every day and be ready to fight and in a good mood and full of hope. And it's like, nah, I'm not full of hope. I try 
not to have hope at all because, and I mean, that sounds hopeless. It is, I suppose, but I don't have hope that I will ever be pregnant. I sometimes fantasize about it quite a lot and I am working on when that's healthy and when it's unhealthy, but I don't feel powerful whenever I have tried to conceive. I have felt just pretty shitty. So I would rather be tender and totally absent from that narrative. I think that's what drew me to you. I'm just glad that we are normalizing the conversation. Yes. Thank you so much. That's literally why I, I say anything in my life is I want to normalize that experiences exist, that people exist in this weird gray place. And sometimes it's just me processing out loud. And then the fact that someone else comes along and says like, Hey man, I know exactly what that feels like, or I needed to hear that. Or yes, that's, you know, you've got this. That's all we, I want. And I just want to normalize that this is Life in general is really weird and funky, and we're just trying to figure it out. Bridget and I will be back in a moment. Enjoying the episode? Why not leave a review on your favorite app, the one that you're listening to right now? It'll be nice. Make me feel loved. No pressure. Back to Bridget's poetry. Remember the one at the start where I go through the restrictions that women have to put themselves through to get and stay pregnant? Of course, men just need to wear loose undies and not put their laptops on their laps. I have felt this so vividly. I remember restricting myself. I remember the third month of trying, I drank a lavender tea. And then I read that lavender might relax your uterus and cause you to not get pregnant. And I was like, that's why I didn't, I I went through like a meltdown over lavender fucking tea. Like looking back, it's like someone needed to hold that little woman and tell her it is not her fault. Drinking lavender tea is not going to be the end of the world. And when I post that and people are like, yep, I have experienced that same exact thing. Or I had posted something about every time I've bought a pregnancy test that look the cashier will give you. And there have been times I've bought a pregnancy test wanting it to be negative. And there have been a times when it's wanting it to be positive every time with a bottle of wine. But when does that shift happen when the, the cashier is looking at you hopefully or the cashier is looking at you sadly? And so many women were like, I know that exact look from the cashier. And we think like, oh, it's just us experiencing this. But no, so many people are experiencing this, but we don't talk about it. We don't get to talk about it. So we don't know that other people are getting that same look. Yes, we don't get to talk about it because others think that we'll always fall apart. Don't ever mention it because it's too devastating for her. And we had to reconstruct our lives. Like that's no small feat. I had to reconstruct my life because I thought I was going to have kids. I planned to have kids. I became a teacher because I had summers off and I could take care of the kids during the summer. It was a job that I ended up loving, but I thought this will facilitate me having a family. We make so many life plans based off the assumption we will have kids. So when someone can't have kids, it is a complete deconstruction and then reconstruction of their lives. That's not a small feat. That's incredibly hard to do. It is devastating. However, you can carry around devastation without crying all the time. You can carry around grief. I think that's to me the biggest thing is how I'm intimately learning to have a relationship with grief. And I'm suddenly like, oh shit, I could have been so much more sensitive to so many people in my life that also have grief because it's something you just kind of like throw on your back and carry it around all day. And some days it's easier and some days it's heavier. It's the same way where if someone dies, 
we don't just assume that person is going to be forever crying. They're going to be sad and they are going to carry that sadness with them, but they still have joy and they still have a very full life, even though they carry that sadness with them. It doesn't go away. It's just, we don't get to talk about it because a lot of women suffer in silence. The stories aren't being told. Anytime infertility is shown, it's shown in pretty much a narrow way. I know that there are some things coming out that are a little more um, inclusive of different storylines, but it took a really long time for us to get there. And so many women join this childless community and they're like, oh, thank God I found you guys. And it's like, you shouldn't have to look this hard, but we do. <laughs> Let me tell you a wee story about outrage. I recently posted looking for podcast guests for a very specific topic and quite a few women, both with or without children, complained of my use of the word childless, that it's negative. But when did a fact become negative? I don't have children. I'm literally childless. I'm also curly haired. Facts. So what about the word failure? That's one that Bridget is trying to reclaim. I think the only way you can ever change the negative connotation with anything is just by constantly showing up in a positive way and using it. Like, I'm a failure. I currently feel like I failed at teaching because I, I couldn't hack it. I totally failed at trying to have a baby because I literally don't have a baby and I can't. Also using the word selfish constantly where it's like, yeah, I am selfish and I love just being at my home with no one touching me, especially coming home from work. That is my best time where it's like no one's touching me and no one's asking anything of me. Yeah, this feels great. And so if we just constantly show up and say like, I can be a good person and also happen to be selfish, I can feel really good about my life and also happen to be a failure, you might change a few people's minds and then they might start using that word. And then slowly you get the majority. It takes years and years. You get the majority to start using those words in a positive connotation, which is how language works in any way it, it evolves. I think I originally started on Instagram being like, I'm going to show the best parts of my life. And I got a lot of women being like, those parts look really great. I like those parts. I want those parts for myself. And I thought, yes, you can have these parts too. If you just, you know, believe in yourself. Then I also thought like, but I also have some sad parts and I don't want to show a limited view of like, oh no, if you just embrace childlessness, you're going to be happy all the time. And your husband's going to make you cocktails and you're going to just watch movies and get drunk and post drunk reviews online, which is one of my favorite things to do currently. <laughs> you got to see my drunk rom-com reviews. <laughs> Not to sound like really cool and popular, Joe, but... <laughs> I was watching, I think it was a rom-com PS. I love you. I hated it so much. And my husband makes delicious cocktails. And sometimes these cocktails are really strong. So I just got very rum drunk watching this rom-com and I just needed the world to know. And a lot of people were like, this is great. I feel the same way. <laughs> so then I decided to like, oh, when I watch rom-coms, I will just do little drunk, like rum drunk reviews of rom-coms. And there's always that moment where I get kind of socially anxious, where I think like, oh no, this might be really dumb. And people might be like, what is this? weird lady doing. But more often than not, I have women be like, I completely agree. I do this at home too with my husband. We watch movies and, you know, rant about them. Or I just find this fun and refreshing. And I think, oh, thank God, because I really like doing it. I like showing that I can get rum drunk and watch a rom-com because I don't have a kid to watch. And that's a perk. I don't want to sell them too much because they <laughs> might really disappoint you. <laughs> but I really like them. And honestly, isn't that all that's important? That selfish nature of, I really like it. 
Bridget, you talk about the way that having children defines us as grown-ups. I'll admit, I still don't feel like a grown-up. What's our definition of grown up? Like you have a job, you have a house, you're taking care of things, you function every day, you get up and you pay your bills. I firmly believe anyone that goes through something that's traumatic and as hard as infertility or even having treatments or choosing to be childless, that forces you to grow up in so many ways and make really big decisions that parents who easily had kids have never had to make. So it's almost like saying, well, unless you have gone through infertility, you're not grown up yet. Like flip the script on them every time. You don't know tired until you've had to get up in the middle of the night to have ovulation sex. You have no idea. (laughs) Ovulation sex. All of those things, uh, we're not grown up enough. We're not tired enough. We don't want it enough. Even though there are so many parents out there who are immature, doing dumb things. I've seen them. I've worked with them. It's constantly just pitting us against each other because how could we possibly understand? And it's like, how could you possibly understand a childless life? You aren't currently living it. My mom once said you didn't go through the trenches and she was joking, but she legitimately views it because I said something about like, I love going home and not having to take care of kids. A lot like grandparents love going home after hanging with their grandchildren. And she laughed and said, yeah, but you didn't go through the trenches. And the fact that we view it as you didn't go through the war that I went through, you don't know, you know, we're brothers in arms over here because we we've seen the same tired. We've seen the same ugly. You don't know. You don't know. Your stretch marks don't represent labor and carrying something to term. So your stretch marks aren't the same as mine. I love this poem you wrote. Let me read it. I think I was taught that I'd make something of myself through having you. And I'm learning that without you, I can finally see what I'm made of. What are you made of, Bridget? I was raised to believe my life would start after I have kids by becoming a mother. That was when I became the epitome of what I would become. And it's only through not being able to have kids that I have ever pushed myself as hard in my life, that I've ever been as reflective and as creative. All of those things that I feel like If someone asked me, like, tell me your best qualities, all of those things came out when I pushed myself through infertility. And I think that it's a shame we raise little girls to believe that they'll find themselves in motherhood when really I'm finding myself without motherhood. I think I would be ignoring a lot of myself if I were a mother right now, if I had gotten pregnant right when I wanted to. There are so many things I wouldn't know I'm capable of. And through infertility, now I know I'm capable of them. And it's pretty badass. The sad thing about it is infertility, motherhood, all of it is the same problems because we're women and the problems are just applied to us differently. But we actually have way more in common than we don't. And the fact that we are putting our worth on having children is the same problem that mothers have. And so many moms think, what if I'm not enjoying this? What if I don't find my fulfillment doing this? What if I do and it ends and they move out of the house? All of those things are still problems for moms that we're experiencing too. But because it's this dichotomy of you'll never understand, you don't know what tired is. My tiger stripes were earned and yours, you know, are from eating bagels. On the fruitless fig tree, you might catch Bridget's badass lady alert. You'll see some of the usual faces like Jennifer Aniston, but also some surprises. Go check it out. I always wanted to grow up into Tina Fey, but after Tina Fey, I wanted to ascend into Betty White. 
the fact that Tina Fey had kids, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, I'm going to have kids too. But then as that slowly went away and I was like, well, who can I grow up into? Betty White still existed. And I realized she didn't have kids and she's America's grandma and we love her. And there are so many women who don't have kids and aren't constantly making their careers about not having kids. So we don't know about it. A lot of celebrities have made their careers about being moms and we just eat it up because that's how women should behave and we love it. Yeah. Look at Angelina Jolie, who was a wild child until she had kids. Then she became a wonderful mother, unlike Jennifer Aniston, who is looked at by the media as so sad. Uh, Yes. As soon as I was like, sweet, Betty White is childless. I want to let people know that. And then people knew and people know Dolly Parton is childless, but there are a lot of people that we don't know about. You know, I was reading Octavia Butler. I looked her up after and I saw she was childless and I thought, yeah, I want to know more about this. She did so much with her life and she has legacy. She has history. The fact that we say you can't have legacy without kids. Well, Rosa Parks has a pretty solid legacy. And with that, our time together has come to an end. I want to thank you so much for sharing, being honest and open as ever. I love this podcast because of people like you, Bridget. Thank you so much. Thank you. I am just happy to be here and meeting other amazing women that make me feel so happy with my life. So thank you so much. If you want to catch up with Bridget, head over to Instagram and look for the fruitless fig tree. I'll leave a link in the show notes. See you next time. I'd love you to join the community on Facebook and Instagram, which is at Unripe Community. And if you're childless or child-free, you're welcome to join the private group, which you'll find a link to on the Facebook page. If you want to share a story or let me know what topics you'd like to hear more about, please drop me an email at hellounripe.com at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, leave a review on your favorite podcast app, including iTunes and Spotify, so other people can find it. The website is where you'll find a little bit more about me, plus all the show notes. Go to unripecommunity.com.au.